Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm Dr. Saul Rosenthal, a health psychologist in the Boston area, and your host as we investigate the incredible connections between brain and body. Our guide today is Dr. Jeff Carmen, a licensed psychologist in New York State. He's the inventor of the passive infrared hemoencephalography system developed to help individuals with migraine headaches. This system also has a positive impact on cognitive and emotional disorders and is used all over the world. I talked with him about why hemoencephalography, HEG, is different from EEG neurofeedback and the types of conditions it is helpful for. So on September 8th, you're giving a, a free webinar for the NRBS, and your plan is to take questions about the PIR, HEG, uh, the equipment, and the process. So I thought we'd do maybe a little bit of a preview and at least provide some basics about the approach. Hopefully that will whet the appetite of people who are listening and they'll come see you. Sure. And, and the registration link, the registration link will be in the show notes. Now, most of our audience would be clinicians and people interested in biofeedback and neurofeedback, and they'll probably be familiar with electroencephalography and neurofeedback that uses EEG, but your focus is on hemoencephalography. So could you explain what that is and what the difference is? Yeah, sure. Um, I did not invent it. Um, Herschel Tumman invented it in 1994. And out of a, an abundance of desire and lack of money, I developed my system in 1998 because I couldn't afford Herschel's system, but they're different. They, they, they share, um, they share an immunity to eye movement artifact that EEG suffers from. You start working in, in the front of the brain so that there is no movement artifact with either form of HEG. And, my form is called PIR, which is passive infrared, which picks up a signal from the brain, but doesn't send anything in. The alternate system is NIR, which is near infrared, which sends red and near infrared into the brain and measures what comes back out. And what you're measuring is heat. Yes, but. <laughs> okay. Um, Folks want to think it's brain temperature, and that's partially my fault because I originally set it up with numbers that look like degrees Fahrenheit, and it isn't. Um, if your brain started heating up like that, you would die. So what it's measuring is uh, thermal waste product. So it's measuring the heat being thrown off through the forehead that keeps the brain cells at a stable temperature. Okay, so it's the, the waste product of metabolism of the neurons working? Yep. And so yours is a is the passive and and Tumans was the, the, the near infrared. I know for you, um, the PIR HEG, you typically use it in the front. Yes. Um, but the NIR you can use in other areas. Are there other differences in what's be, with the information being picked up or how deep into the brain you're looking? You know, <laughs> I've done a lot of troubleshooting trying to figure it out. And I've used the headset at different locations. 
and it's so effective up front that it's never been as effective anywhere else, even when I could track down low output areas using the infrared camera. One person I know of has actually more than one, three. Wayne Martin down in Texas has used it to help with his own head. He had a, a early childhood um, bleed, caused him trouble his whole life. And he started uh, developing right, right arm problems, right leg problems. And, and this brought a lot of it back. And he did do localized left-sided training, but he also did frontal, so it's kind of hard to tell. And, and I know on, on the listserv you run, and, and I have to say it is one of the most useful listservs that I'm on anyway. Well, thank you. Um, you're welcome. It's, it's, I, I think maybe it was him who talked about that, who had, I think there's been some questions once in a while about using it in different sites and, right. and where that might be, but, but typically it is frontal. Uh, and you developed this, did you develop it for migraine work? Because that's, that's, I think what it's mostly known for and used for. Yeah, I, I did early on, but before that, my interest was in um, pain disorders, uh, like the regional complex pain disorder. Now it's, what's the current one? Complex regional pain. Right. I, it switched names. CRPS, chronic, yeah, yes. yeah, it used to yeah. be RSD and yeah, now CRPS, right, right. right. So back then, a lot of the theories were wrong, but they were strongly put forth. One of them was that if you could increase blood flow, like to the hand that was being suffering, you'd help. But you couldn't put a sensor on the hand because it would hurt. And I was fooling around with infrared detection at the time. And so I um, set it up so that you could pick up heat coming out of the hand without touching the hand. And it worked really well, and it generated an incredible amount of pain, and it made, it made people worse. So then I kind of set that aside and thought, well, I've got this technology that was a bust on that, but maybe I could apply it to migraines, which were also an interest area of mine. Back then, the theory with migraine was it was too much blood flow in the head. And the theory was wrong, but that, that was the, the current theory. And so I figured I could downtrain that and make it better. So I tried downtraining it, and you can't do that. Really, the only way to downtrain frontal activity is to activate limbic activity. Or possibly if you're a professional meditator and you spend half your life meditating, you might be able to do it. But it's really hard. But then Herschel started talking about cranking up the prefrontal cortex with his system. And I figured, well, I got nothing to lose. And the very first time I tried it with a migraine person, after about 15 minutes, she said, oh, and I said, what? And she said, it's gone. She had come in with a migraine and, and it kind of disappeared. 
And then that started happening over and over again. So I thought maybe I'm onto something with migraines. And that was, that was the start of it. So it's not too much blood flow, as, as we know, that is wrong. Although, I, you know, I think um, I, the first biofeedback training was hand warming, which does work. Yep, absolutely. So, so what is it? If it's not too much blood flow, what is it? I used to talk about the executive control system, and Herschel did too. And, you know, one, one of my colleagues locally is a musician, and she said, no, you got it wrong. It, it's an orchestra leader. It's the conductor who does a little of this and a little of this and a little of this and keeps track of everything and makes it all run smoothly. And that fits much better when you crank up the activity of the prefrontal cortex. It smooths out everything by increasing the gain of negative feedback loops. And everything gets better. So you don't have to go traipsing all around the brain to find these different sites. If you just crank up the activity of the prefrontal cortex, it manages things more nicely. And it does, in fact, make the brain have a difficult time generating a high-quality migraine. Right, because it's regulating better. Yes. And, and so that suggests, of course, that it may work for things in addition to migraines. And I'll get, I'll get to that in a second because I know people are using it for more. But what about other types, what about other types of headaches, whether they're tension type? And I, I think I know your answer to that question or uh, post-trauma headache or um, cluster headaches. Okay. There are three separate things. Tension type headaches. The history of biofeedback with tension type headaches is that they're easier than migraines. And they're not. They're very difficult. And I think the reason they're very difficult is because after a while, the brain keeps remembering the pain, but there's no more signal. And so it's tension-type headaches are just really difficult. My own track record with them is marginal. It takes, like, a long time to make some impact. Whereas with migraines, it's more shutting off something. And the effect is very fast. So it's just different. Cluster headaches, I would say my total effectiveness has been zero, as is most everybody else if they're honest about it. But cluster headaches come in clusters. So you, you work with somebody, and they might normally go a year between them anyway. And so it's very difficult to tell with cluster headaches if you make any difference at all. Because they, they come, they burst for a while, and leave. So it, it's more a matter of um, people thinking they're doing something nice because they want to. And what was the third headache? Uh, post-traumatic headache. Post-traumatic. They act like migraines. And they trigger like migraines, and they get better like migraines. Um, now, interestingly using the infrared camera, they all look like they have shut off the front of the brain. And also interestingly is it's very easy to turn it back on and then everything normalizes. It, it doesn't stay normal for a long time. You have to work at it. But the normalization comes on fast. 
and things that look like focal brain lesions from the head injury kind of disappear, which means maybe they aren't lesions because they never show up on an MRI. They're like little pockets of functional lesions, but maybe they're from lack of regulation. Yeah, and I think with, with, with post-traumatic headache, there's sometimes you know, hypoxia and there are sometimes or frequently blood flow issues, which may lead to the trigger of the migraine. Um, and at least in my experience, and I'm obviously just one person, when I'm working with people who have post-traumatic headaches, I feel like whatever training I'm doing, whether it's PIRHG or biofeedback or, or other types of neural feedback, I need to go more slowly. Yes. It's just uh, it triggered those headaches very Absolutely. Easily. In fact, I have statistics on it. With the PIR software, you, you track cumulative mental effort throughout the session. And people with a head injury will fatigue after three to five minutes, which is very fast. It's often more like three minutes of, of mental effort, whereas an average migrainer may go much farther. Uh, normal is about 10 minutes and peak performers are 20 minutes. But head injury people fatigue very fast, and that may account for the phases that people go, people with head injuries go through during the day where they can think and then all of a sudden they can't and then they can think again and then they can't again and they, they go through rapid episodes of sleepiness and uh, everything's all screwed up. So, so we did talk about other conditions in addition to migraine and, and headache. What else is the PIR HEG being used for? Well, it turned out, I mean, at first I was just using it with headaches, but then other things started disappearing. I mean, people with headaches have other things that bother them that they don't necessarily talk about. And it turns out that it's really useful for any problem related to excess rate and magnitude of response to relatively benign stimuli. How's that one for you? That's that's good. Maybe uh, and so more specifically, that could be anxiety. It could be depression. It could be ADHD. Hyperreactivity. Yeah, it could be anything. I don't know about depression. Depression seems to be a different animal. I, I haven't made up my mind about it. And also, autistic spectrum things. If it's not a, a disorder involving mental limitations, like what we used to call retarded, if it's a relative person with relatively normal intelligence on the autistic spectrum, this will work on that. It takes a lot of sessions, like 80 to 100, and all of a sudden, the person will kick in with social insight, which doesn't make any sense unless you assume that it's always been there. They just couldn't access it. Right. I was just sort of, as you'd said, they, they suddenly show social, um, you know, a better social sense. I, I was trying to figure out, okay, how could that happen in the frontal? Well, I mean, the frontal lobe, it, you know, when we think of autism spectrum, we often think back, you know, the right temporal region um, or, or the, the, the vertex, the central vertex. But with the prefrontal cortex, everything kind of goes through. I mean, it's the big inhibitor. 
Yeah, right. And it's 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 like you said, the conductor. So the the skills may just not be getting through in some way. I don't know what it is. I can tell you it's on the other side of the brain from depression. With infrared imaging, a person who's depressed or has genetic linear lineage for, for depression will show a dark area over the left eye if they are left language dominant. And by dark area, you mean uh, lower activity? Yes. It, it shows less brain activity. Right. And, and you've mentioned a few times the uh, use of infrared cameras. H- how are you using that? And what, what, do the, what, what does it show with migraine or with other conditions? Well, I've been using it for a long time. It was after the very first presentation I gave to ISNR, which was SNR at the time. And it was somewhere around the early 2000, 2001, something. I don't remember exactly when. But I realized I was missing a lot of information in terms of presenting PIRHEG. So I decided to get myself an infrared camera. And then I realized I couldn't afford it. Because back then they were running twenty-five to a hundred thousand dollars, but I managed to get one that was broken. Managed to get it running, and I have probably maybe five thousand images that are really noisy. They're visually noisy. It's grainy, hard to see, but you can see them. And then I went through a succession of um, much better cameras. And I've got a really nice one now. But after I realized that it was an effective way to look at what's going on in the front of the brain, I started capturing images in the beginning and end of every single session. So I have, I'm pushing 40,000 images now. The beginning session shows a, a baseline of all the sessions. So if you've seen somebody over 20 sessions, you have a progression with some dips and ups, but you you have a a progression that actually is meaningful. And people, especially kids, get so good at it, they can tell you what it's going to look like before you get their image. I also do a post-session image, which really only tells you whether you gauge the session right or not. So if you overdid the session and, and fatigued somebody, the center area gets really dark. And that's useful for warning parents. You know, I say, I'm really sorry. I, I went over the edge and you're going to pay for it later today. Now leave quickly, quickly, yeah. go home. Interestingly, it, it's still okay because once the kid gets a night's sleep, the next day or the day after that, he's great. But I I don't like to do that. I like to gauge it before. But sometimes sometimes people refuse to quit because they really get into the movie. Right. Well, yeah. (laughs) I've had that problem. Or or complaints when the movie stops. Why does it stop? I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And do you have a sense of how PIRHEG fits in with other types of neurofeedback or biofeedback? I don't know at this point if you're primarily using PRHEG or if you're integrating it with others. What's your sense of how does it kind of fit in? You know, how how do these things work together? 
Well, I have some of everything and I used to use it all. I stopped using EEG for a different reason because where I was located, I was line of sight to what was called an antenna farm. And I was getting bombarded with radio frequency stuff that was being picked up into the EEG amplifier. And it, it just, I, I never felt comfortable that my signal was, was a genuine signal and not something that was being overwhelmed by all kinds of other stuff. So I stopped using that. Um, for me, this works much better. Before that, I had done an awful lot of relaxation training using EMG and skin conductance and thermal. And I like skin conductance. It's, it's one of my favorite measures. But it was mostly devoted towards relaxation training, which I don't do anymore. And the reason I don't do anymore is because, number one, somebody can't leave your office and stay that way. They have to re-enter the world. And the other thing is some people use a little bit of residual tension as a defense mechanism. When you remove that little residual tension, they go, whoa, and panic. And I don't like to induce panic. So I just stopped doing relaxation training. So all I use now is PIR. And I know that um, like I, I'll use both. And I know a lot of people do. I think I, somebody, I think, on your listserv, and I won't name names, once said they like to start with the PIR HEG because it gets the tom tomato ready for the EEG training. Yeah, a lot of people the, say that the, the word tomato was used, uh, which I think is a good word for the brain. So w there's there's obviously a lot of innovation going on technically. Um, it, most of it within our world, really within sort of the EEG, sort of home-based equipment, things like that. What do you see, if anything, where, what's the future of PIR HEG? Well, setting somebody up with their own system at home is easy. And I've certainly done it a lot. And for people with intractable migraines, where nothing helps, this does help, but you, you, it doesn't help for very long. Uh, you may only get a day or two out of a session. And they're highly motivated to manage them. So they will actually use the system and use it every couple of days or whatever they need and manage the headaches. They're not gone, but they're a lot better. For most other conditions, I don't think the technology matters as much as the fact that people view them like treadmills and hang their clothes on them. And that most people don't actually use home systems. In, in fact, one time I had, I had two teenager, teenager girls actually who were complaining of headaches and I, I was never really sure about them. And their parents rented a system over the summer and I modified the software to keep track of what they were doing. And what they were doing, they were unrelated and didn't know each other. Most of the time they were just watching movies. One person used the system actually using it once 
And if I'm remembering right, the other one didn't use it at all. And I think that's typical. People usually have good intentions and after a little while it just sits. Well, that will uh, keep our field always always uh, relevant, I think, yeah. uh, no matter what, what equipment could be do, done at home. So I, I like to end these conversations with, with one or two one thing questions. Uh-huh. So what is one thing you want our listening audience to take from our discussion? Um, there's a world outside of EEG. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> that may bring the pitchforks out and the, <laughs> the torches. <laughs> but it's true. It is absolutely true. And I, and, you know, and I have to say, in my, it's my, again, one person's clinical experience, and I haven't yet gone through my records to get data on this. But when PIRHCG works, it works very quickly for migraines. And I, I, I've had people come in where I've been doing other work for them with other issues. And they say, oh, when I have migraines, I'll say, well, let's try PIRHCG. And within one or two training sessions, the frequencies have dropped. Now, usually it's the intensity kind of drops first, but it is really impressive how quickly this can work for, yeah, for migraine. I'm still impressed by it. It's just surprising. And then I guess one last question, um, which just occurred to me, is there one or two things or, or what, what, what is one thing that you wish the PIR HEG system could do that it does not do currently? Um, it's difficult to make the software do a good job with um, a, an audio feedback. Um, I have tried it a number of times and, and, you know, I've had a few people that were severely visually impaired and I, I would have liked to have some purely audio feedback. Um, it just hasn't worked nicely. It's a wonderful piece of software. It's, it's um, BioERA. Um, it's very difficult to program with. And sometimes it has surprises that you don't anticipate, so I make very few changes. The, the design as it is is really stable. It's hard to get nice audio feedback. Either, either I don't like the way it sounds or it's nonlinear. Um, it's just difficult. It could be done if I spend a lot of time with it. So I, I would kind of like that. Is BioERA, are they still developing it? Because I think there's been a, a new beta out. Well, not new. There's been a beta out for a long time, if I'm remembering correctly. Are they still, is there still active development? Yeah, that... Jared Koltinsky wrote it. And he comes out with a new version, an updated version, usually several times a year. Um, it's always being, it's always being enhanced and like any other sub, any other software, um, he does bug fixes. Uh, there's not as many as there are in Windows, but um, you know he he when he finds a bug, he'll fix it, and he does so really fast. He, he just is impeccably fast on this stuff. So you have progressive um, numbers like we're using. 4.184 at the moment. And before that, it was 3.062. And there were a lot in between, but anytime I, 
I release a version for my software, I have to really test it heavily to make sure there are no surprises. Uh, so currently, there don't seem to be any surprises. The biggest surprises are Windows. I mean, it's... So you mentioned Windows twice, so I can't let this go without just saying, uh, and I, I'm not going to ask you any questions about it, but just maybe as a little teaser for people out there, some of the best discussions about Windows in general and the technical problems it can cause those of us who are trying to do any kind of feedback work. Uh, really on this listserv, you really you, you really go into the weeds, and it's been really helpful actually. You know, when I when I've in my various you know, various types of computers I've had and systems, it's always been really helpful to sort of go to your to go to listserv, and I save the the threads on things like the Windows and what to do about it. So that's if people have Windows questions, you definitely should come to this talk and. Uh, bring them up and this and again the talk is going to be on September the 8th and it, it is free uh, and if you if our listeners if you want to join just go to nrbs.org or register through the uh, on the show notes there'll be a link so Jeff thank you so much for joining us and I'm really looking forward to hearing what what other questions come up and your answers to them in September oh it's been my pleasure you are listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. Our guide today was Jeff Carmen, clinical psychologist and inventor of the PIR HEG system, used to help manage migraine headaches as well as cognitive and emotional disorders. Join him for his free NRBS webinar on September 8th. You can register by following the link in the show notes. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, rate us, and leave reviews at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Reviews help us get to more listeners, and that's more people who can learn about and benefit from biofeedback and neurofeedback. Also, let us know what you think by sending us email. Our address is healthybrain at nrbs.org. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. It's a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org to find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference, which will be at the end of October this year. All opinions expressed are those of our guests and not the NRBS. The podcast is not meant to replace advice from qualified healthcare providers. Be sure to join us for our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body. Happy Body.